Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Vito. I'm Mike. I'm Dan. I'm Jesse, and we've got some Dan birthday energy today. Birthday yeah. energy. <laughs> this is a great theme <laughs> but it's song. It's Dan's birthday, so it's, it's kind of mellow. <laughs> yeah. Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, to Dan's uh, b- uh, birthday episode. We are just talking real quietly. We've just had some uh, good non-caffeinated tea. Just here to kind of just kick around some some easygoing films. Dan, you've picked some pretty easygoing movies today, right? Just some nice hangout. Oh yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing to mix things up. Um, I just wanted some feel good, you know, feel good comedies is what I was looking for. So we're doing yeah. Forrest Gump and a Sound of Music double episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hot take. I am actually not a huge Forrest Gump fan. That's fine. That's not. That's that's absolutely fine. I'm right there. With you. <laughs> oh, I was I was expecting some ire coming from no, you guys. Meh. Wow. No, who's okay. kind of meh. Kind yeah. of big meh. As the Gen Zers would say, that that movie's mid. <laughs> See, I like Forrest Gump, but I don't love it. If anybody said they don't like that, I say yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. I, normally, if I say that in a room, everyone attacks me. So. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like you said like this the Shawshank a... Redemption sucks. Like that would be a way oh, different. No, that's sentence. a masterpiece. Yeah. yeah. This is a safe space for people who share our opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I was I was totally kidding. Dan has picked different movies. I'm going to hand over the reins of this episode to Dan. It was my birthday last week. Dan's birthday this week. Um, happy birthday, Dan. Talk to us about what you have chosen for us to talk about, because I'm really sorry, listeners. It's not a Forrest Gump sound of music double feature. I don't know why I pulled both of those. It's so weird. I don't know what's going on with my brain. Dan, what, what did you pick? <laughs> uh, yeah, different is definitely a word to describe these movies. Mm-hmm. Um I chose the 2009 Mr. Nobody, which is um, by written and directed by Jaco Van Dormal. I looked up how to say his last name, and I think that was it. <laughs> this movie is very, very strange. I That's how I told my wife, like, tried to get her ready to watch this. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is a strange movie. It's weird. And she's like, is it weird, like, everything, everywhere, all at once? I was like, no, but also maybe Maybe weirder. I don't know. Um, it's a weird movie. It's much, definitely much fewer sex toys. We can say yes, but more sex. So exactly. <laughs> and then the second film we're going to cover today is uh, Denny Villeneuve, my guy. Uh, his 2013 Enemy, also a kind of a bizarre film. Both these movies are kind of random picks. Not random in the sense that I didn't think about you know, pairing two movies, but they're very, very unique movies and they're kind of outside of a genre, in my opinion. They're very, very strange. And I picked them because this is my birthday episode. I don't think I could ever convince you guys to do these movies outside of my birthday episode, but I love them and I was I was excited to talk about them with you guys. So yeah, thanks. Thanks so much guys for doing this birthday episode thing. I think it's awesome. And yeah, I get to talk about weird movies on my birthday. That's great. Um, yeah, you do. Just, uh, just to interject a little bit. Now, I think eventually we might have done Mr. Nobody because Mike has been telling Vito and I to watch it for years. And we've never watched it <laughs> <laughs> until now. Um, until we were compelled to watch c- it. Continuing <laughs> the longstanding pod tradition of not watching anything that Mike recommends until someone else recommends it. What are you talking about? That's exactly how Jesse treats every movie that I like. 
And then every movie I hate, Jesse's like, yeah, I'll probably check that out. <laughs> this is how we work. It's it's weird. It's a, it's, it's a really healthy place. Yeah. <laughs> we know ourselves. We fell in love in a healthy place. <laughs> no, we did not. Well, Dan, if, if you want to... You know, take take the reins here. Tell us about you were able you prepared this Google Doc. You made this whole thing. Tell us how you want to do this. Uh, yeah, I can jump into some of the cast and crew for for Mister Nobody to start off. Obviously, Jared Leto is the biggest name here. I don't know. Have you guys done? Have we done a Jared Leto movie before? A little. We things. have. It was. Um, <laughs> what, what was the first? What was the first thing that we did? It was the Denzel Washington movie. The little things. <laughs> Little, I forgot the about that things. movie. That movie was, that, was that the only trash. one? We did a watch along for oh. Dr. Michael Morbius. Oh yes, Mike, Mike <laughs> yes, and I you did. Guys did. So this is this is Jared something. Leto's third appearance on the show. Wait, did he like co-star in something? I'm getting I'm getting a weird we tickling we in the back of my head. We didn't do anything for uh, for Justice League. No, we were going to, but we we never we never actually ended up doing that. Um, I'm at, you know what? I'm going to pull up this. Uh, continue. Is that like an continue old continue movie talking about in? Jared Leto? Yeah, well, I wanted to ask what you guys think about him. I know Sir is, I'm pretty sure he's got a, a big man crush on Jared Leto, from what I've heard. Um, uh-huh. Sir, our biggest fan, yes. We know, mm-hmm. and best collaborator. No, well, and, and also David. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just shouting out collaborators here. But yeah, he, he loves Jared Leto, and we blew his mind after the Little Things episode when we pointed out that he's also the lead singer of 30 Seconds to Mars. He is indeed. Um, get your mind blown again, kids. He is the lead singer of 30 Seconds to Mars. Break him down. Bury him. Bury him. Please, actually, someone really bury him for real. Uh, <laughs> no, we have not done another Jared Leto movie. Morbius and Little Things are two. I, I will say that of the three movies we've covered, I think he's at his best here. He also really, I think he really fits with what's happening on screen. Uh, his stare in this movie it's very it's very poignant at times. It I think it draws me into what's happening on screen more more than I think another actor can maybe even pull off in this situation. So I think Mister Nobody really fits him here. I, I agree about his stare. His eyes um, are are obviously his best feature. Uh, they're they're very very deep eyes. Um, you don't love his hair. You don't think that's no, his best feature? No, I'm pretty clinical when it comes to Jared Leto. I've seen a lot of his movies. Um, and listened to a lot of 30 Seconds to Mars and also argued with, again, good friend and collaborator, Sir, about Jared Leto ad nauseum. He is, I would say, very well cast for uh, most of this movie. Most of this movie, he's he's doing a very good job. In general, though, I feel that Jared Leto is rarely in the same movie as other people. He obviously cares a lot about acting and acting well, but I think that acting well is his own standard that he brings to the table. And that's mm-hmm. rarely really influenced by the movie that he's in. Um, I think you need a movie like this where he's playing so many different versions of the same character that he can really lean into, you know, acting. In other movies, it's just like, what are you doing here? Like, what what are you doing on this screen? Like, I think it's this one and maybe Requiem for a Dream are the two times where I wasn't pulled out of the movie consistently thinking that's Jared Leto. Everything yeah. else, though, I'm just always like, oh, it's Jared Leto. Oh, like, look, yep, he's being Jared Leto. Yep, look at him go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I do like what you're saying about him, like seeming like he's in a different movie than all the other actors. It really works here because like, you know, in this whole weird movie about all these different timelines that this Jared Leto kind of maybe even knows about all the other timelines. Right. And is, he is different than everybody else around him. 
He is making different decisions. He's living a different life than everybody. Before we move on to maybe the rest of the cast and crew, can I ask why you chose these two movies in particular? Yeah. So it kind of goes into what we'll talk about later with the connections between them. Both of them are movies that I kind of, they, they fall into this bucket of like, I wasn't the same person after watching the movie as before kind of thing mm-hmm. where they, they had a huge impact, maybe not on my, maybe not on my day to day life, but almost like they hit me in my brain somehow. Like mm-hmm. they like landed in my psyche and I like the randest, the most random times a scene from Mr. Nobody will like pop into my head or something that I felt during watching enemy will pop into my brain. And it's like, these movies really have something powerful in them, something very impactful. And, and that's, that's kind of the connective tissue that I originally was thinking about when I picked Mm -hmm. these two was just movies that have affected me. And I've like, I've never been able to shake them from my brain or I've never forgotten about them. Even if I don't watch them all the time, like I, I don't watch enemy every other Saturday just in case you guys are worried about me. Uh, <laughs> really thankful for that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, going, going back to Jared Leto, I, I agree with you guys. He, he does feel like he's always Jared Leto, like in his, in any movie he's in. And that's a very bizarre thing to be like, to be a, a, that <laughs> he's a very, very odd personality. And, and it works in this movie. I think, he kind of always, I always connect him and like Johnny Depp for some reason in my brain where they're, they're always playing kind of their own person. And you almost, you kind of know what you're getting before you even see the movie, Mm -hmm. but then there's always a little bit of a twist on it, or they're kind of aiming for something slightly different, but they're, they're always there. You still see the personality of the actor in the character. So they they always bring themselves to the character. And also, it also almost seems like Jared Leto should be in a Tim Burton movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Whenever they do the live action remake of The Corpse Bride, that's that's his movie right there. Oh like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah the only Johnny Depp who actually did the voice for that. <laughs> Johnny Depp is too swarthy, you know. I think the only difference I would see is that Johnny Depp is not interested in doing like these sort of transformative roles and hasn't been for a long time, maybe since like Edward Scissorhands or Ed Wood. And Jared Leto got the Oscar for playing a man with AIDS in Dallas Buyers Club. And he, you know, he got really skinny for that. And then also for, um, I mean, he's, he's gotten really fat for, for some roles. We played Mark David Chapman in a movie that no one saw. He gained like 150 pounds. Obviously like the, the, he's, he's a real method guy and Johnny Depp is not a method guy, but it's funny that you call out that comparison because it is weirdly fitting. It's like all these gymnastics that Jared Leto goes through to be a method actor, right? But they're just, it's like, it doesn't really seem to affect the performance. You know, it's, I, I, was, I was joking with Mike, the laugh he does as the old man is the same as his Joker laugh. It's just the, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what you could come up with? Or like in House of Gucci, you know, they bury him underneath, you know, pounds of makeup and the best thing you can do is like a Mario impersonation. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I am like a pigeon. <laughs> uh, I think that's really strange about him is that he gives, he gives it's like Daniel Day-Lewis type commitment, Johnny Depp type delivery. <laughs> oh, Sir's going to love that. Uh, yeah, he's going to hate everything I just said. <laughs> I've, always, I've always felt with Jared Leto, like it always surprises me when he moves. 
um, at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> his eyes are just like, I, I think it's something to do with the fact that his eyes are so, so piercing. Like, there. They're so piercing and luminescent. And he's got the hair. I think that if he got rid of the hair, it would help uh, I, him to look like someone who is acting. Yeah. But like, it's really hard for me to like consider him as a person who acts, who like does actions. Mm. I, I find it very difficult to to do that. And I mean, I think that this movie, like you said, Dan, is kind of a very perfect role for him because he's not really human in some ways. Like he's sort of other. Yeah. Um, and this movie, mm. the character, Mr. Nemo, nobody is maybe a little bit other. Yeah, without without spoiling. Yes, I, yeah. I agree with that. But yeah, moving on to other cast, we've also got Diane Kruger as Yay! the adult Anna. I think she's fantastic in this. She's also in um Inglorious Bastards. Totally Inglorious Bastards, yes. She's the, the, the adult um the main lady, right? No, no, that's, no, that's she's, actually, she's not the French. That's actually Melanie Laurent, right? Right. I'm sorry, that's why I'm getting confused. She's an enemy, um, but Anna or Diane Kruger is Helen of Troy, the, baby. <laughs> yes, yeah, she's in. No, but she is uh, in Inglorious Bastards. She's the the Ger- the German actress, is it? Or she's some sort of like, yeah, she's the one that gets her leg shot and she has to put it in a cast and all that. Yeah, gets strangled right. by by Christoph Waltz's um, character. Yeah, yeah, um, she's also in the uh, National Treasure. I think both of them. She's the just the first one, or just the first one. Okay, I think I'm. I'm gonna look it up because she, she, she was such a crush of mine when I was in was on, when I was in high school, based off National Treasure. I'm pretty sure she's in National Treasure too. Like, oh yeah, are, there it is. Didn't, didn't they get married and then divorced by the time National Treasure Two comes around? I don't remember the plot, but you're but you're right. She is in the second. Yeah, she's great. She's she's beautiful and she looks different with the brown or as a brunette, but she's um. She's great. Um, yeah. Also, Sarah Polly as Elise. I looked up her her uh, filmography. I didn't recognize anything. She's in a lot of different things, but I I've never seen her in anything else besides this. She's uh, she's really fantastic in Dawn of the Dead, and she's she's amazing yeah. as a as a young woman in um, the Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which is one of my one of my very favorite movies. It makes me a little bit sad because she's obviously an actress that has so much range and so much ability that she's not in more things um, like her last film credit was in 2010. And since then she's um, not, last television credit was 2008. She has a feature film coming up uh, that she's directed and written, but she seems to have stepped behind the camera recently. And that, that makes me a little bit sad because that means that Mr. Nobody was her third to last film that she, she acted in mm. and she's fantastic in this really, really stunning. I thought anyway, yeah, her character in this is is so just heart wrenching. It's a uh, really really powerful. Um, we also have uh, Lynn Dan Pham as Jean. Those are so those are the three uh, women in Nemo Nobody's life slash lives. Jean gets shafted in this in this movie. Man, I, I really yeah. want more of Jean. It's like oh. yeah. yeah, yeah. Every time she's on the screen, you're like, she's great. She kind of steals the scene, and then she's in very few scenes. Really yeah, sure every, and every time she's just like, could you just remember that my name and that you're married to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stop Bummer. Calling me. Yeah. Stop calling me other names. 
<laughs> I remember uh, her from Ninja Assassin, uh, which we've actually mentioned on the show um, before. And then I also remember uh, she's in last year's Blue Bayou um, with Alicia Vikander that I've been meaning to see. Um, we've also got Riz Ifan. Um, he's mm. Nemo's father. Also a stunning performance. Also his, his mother as well, Natasha Little. Both of them are, I think, incredible. This is, this is a stacked cast, in my opinion. This is an incredible, incredible group of people. All of them are firing on all cylinders. And, and I think that it's, it's, I didn't realize it till maybe this last viewing that the cast is what really, really draws me to this movie, hmm. as well as the content and everything else. But, but the cast is just phenomenal. Every single character is completely sold for me. I, I believe just about every second of their performances and, and the characters they're portraying. Yeah, they do all really work. Um, I didn't, I never doubted that Elise, well, I'm, I'm not sure. I guess we're still not in the spoilers, but Elise's character is very particular. I, I've seen that sort of person done, but like, I, I never doubted that she was that and she was on screen. So yeah. 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 Her, her hysterical crying didn't sound like an actor doing hysterical crying. It sounded like someone that was mm-hmm. actually having a breakdown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Quick, quick sidebar. I agree with almost everything you said, Dan, except that I think that when Jared Leto puts on the old band makeup, he is f-ing terrible. I think every moment he is an old man was unbearable to me watching. it, And I don't know really? why they couldn't have just cast an old man. Every moment just read like acting from his weird walk where it's such a performative like shake that he's doing, his terrible laugh, his like, I have a dry throat delivery. And just like drink a glass of water. Every moment of it, I I was immediately ripped out of the movie going, that's Jared Leto underneath pounds of makeup like I know he likes to do. And and I I couldn't get out of it. Every Every other part that he played, fantastic. Really enjoyed him as every incarnation of Nemo, but just as an old man, I could not be. I could not get on board. I couldn't get on board. Did, did, did no one else feel this way about Old Man Leto? I I liked Old Man Leto. I, old Man Leto was completely sold for me. Yeah, I, I did not how? because I, he was still weird and he's still other and he's still out there, just like all the other renditions of of Nemo. Only now he's like 114 years old and very crotchety. Can't talk straight. Can't walk straight. Can't think straight. It, it just didn't even see. It just didn't even seem. I don't think it worked at all because it didn't even seem like the same Nemo that we've seen in every other part of the movie. It was a completely different person. Well, he was like eighty years older. So, it's like I there. I saw no connective tissue between this and, of course, maybe that's the point because of spoilers, because of <laughs> what we, what we understand about Old Man Leto or Old Man Nemo at the end of the movie. Maybe it was the point to make him so crazy and off the wall. But I just thought that the. I thought that it was weird to me that that performance was so hammy and crazy when so many other points of the movie, like especially when dealing with Sarah Pauly's character, Elise, where he Nemo is so human and and Jared Leto is selling this performance with a lot of subtlety. Um, just just the way that he's just standing, like with his arms open. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was just so bizarre to me. Then he just goes through ah, 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 is like doddering around in his little cane yelling at people. I just see for me, I I saw it as like a comedic relief. Like my Mm -hmm. wife laughed at every, every, you know, he like flips off the the cameras and he, he's like, he's, I don't know. I thought he was funny. I thought it wasn't uh, off-putting. Obviously he's an off-putting old man, 
but that's the point. He's kind of like ridiculously off-putting. Um, I, I liked it. I think it's, I think it's almost supposed to be like taking you out of the more serious, like every scene in this is like, bam, 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 like serious, serious stuff, drama. And then mm-hmm. you kind of get taken out of it with those, like the interactions between him and this, this journalist. And, and also I found the off-putting thing, like the older Nemo gets, the more I'm like, man, I'm really not, I don't, I don't like you. <laughs> like the more off-putting I found the character. So when he's 114 years old and I found him really off-putting, like, I guess this is where we end up. And also for the first time, the reason why the old man is different is because he's being interviewed rather than, I don't know, like for the most part, except when Nemo's is, is in very specific situations, which I can't get into because we're not doing spoilers. Uh, he doesn't really talk very much even it's almost like he's more observing the world rather than than really trying to give something to it which is kind of what they're forcing the old man to do so it, it made sense to me that he was weirder then what about you what about you, 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 said, you said very little i i was Talk. fine with him i have no problem with old man all right i'm the only, I'm i mean the only one I kept being like, do I, I like? I kept asking myself, do I have a problem with this? Like, this is <laughs> definitely like, like this is definitely Jared Leto. Like, he is definitely an old man makeup. Do I have a problem with this right now? No, not really. I just, I, I just thought the that there, there was, was such such good drama in the rest of the movie, and this is like but a cartoon. I, I, I do see what you're saying though. Like, it does. Like, there is. He was never really sarcastic or like grating in any of his other periods of life. Until, you know, until he's 118 years old and about to die. And so that was like a little bit of a, you know, disconnect. But it's also fine. I'm putting I'm putting it down. I hated it, but I understand you guys' points. <laughs> and a sidebar. And a sidebar. I right. will say, or, well, I'm, I'm jumping back in the sidebar, I guess. Uh, but, like, I will say that some part of me did feel like a weird jump. Because there's young Nemo played by like baby Nemo played by a different actor. There's kid Nemo played by a different actor. Teenage Nemo played by a different actor. Adult Nemo played by the different actor. And then old Nemo played by the same actor. Yeah. That's just weird. Like it seems like they could have just had different actors for everybody. Just just get an old man. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I definitely think that could have been better, but I also felt this was fine. All right. Jumping out of the side. (laughs) Yeah. Um, also wanted to shout out the original music in this movie is by the brother of the director, Pierre Von Dormal. Um, he's the one that did like the guitar do, 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 which is, I, 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 I love that music in it. I think it's beautiful. Beautiful I, music. Yeah. I've been in the mood for that music before and just put it mm-hmm. on. Um, it's, it's pretty soothing. It's pretty chill. It's kind of fun sounding. Um, yeah, what did you guys think about the music? Oh yeah, it was great. It was uh yeah, it was like bouncy, but also like fraught with meaning, maybe. Yeah. Um there's a ton of different instruments that yeah. are that are going on too. Mm-hmm. Like it's always there's always something interesting happening sonically. To the point where it almost seemed kind of chaotic at times. Like between, mm-hmm. you know, we're doing a synth heavy, now we're doing some strings, now we're doing guitar. They he, they do a good job of keeping the theme going. Yeah, I, I found myself very moved by by a lot of the music, and even more so considering the fact that he uh, he died from cancer in two thousand eight. This was his his final work. 
Oh, wow. I did not know that. That's, that's good to point out. Yeah, I thought the music was really cool. I mean, it's very we- it's very unexpected for a movie like this. If I if I like when I see the when you see the first frames of this movie, I was expecting like far heavier everything to be coming up, but the music always made it far lighter than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, like Mr. Sandman plays a lot. That's not something. <laughs> that's not the sort of uh, theme I was expecting from it. Like I would have thought it was going to be a more Mister ha- like Mister Haunting Sandman or something. Like just something <laughs> like slower and drearier. Instead, it wasn't. It was kind of always a little. Puppy. It was like it was like Mister Sandman. Give me a dream. You know, you're like, oh, this is a sarcastic yeah. rendering of this song. <laughs> and to the to the and I thought that at ter- at times that would under that would kind of undercut some of the drama that was happening, but it was, it surprisingly didn't do that. Like in the, in the Elise timeline, when he goes to get his car wash, he's in the automatic car wash and they're playing um, into each life. Some rain must fall yeah. by the ink spots and Ella Fitzgerald. That's been one of my favorite songs for, for decades. Um, like me as a kid growing up and when they queued it up, you know, it's a song that has a very sweet melancholy, but that's not really the mood in the car. Like you're you're not entirely certain yet what this timeline, what the struggles in this timeline, or like his obsession with cleaning this car, or his troubles with his wife and his family, and it's weird because the lyrics are matching perfectly what's going on in his head, but the music is much more upbeat, and you would think that would clash, but it doesn't because yeah. the car wash is so colorful and nice. Yeah. <laughs> car wash it's, it's kind like of what a- you love to do as a kid you love to go through the drive-through car wash and especially like, hey, you know Dad, can i go through the drive-through car wash today um it, it's it's such a weird it's such a weird juxtaposition all the time between these old like doo-wop or jazz standards and of course we have to mention that uh uh pierre von dormel is a jazz musician you know he's well versed and these are all jazz or doo-wop or early pop standards mm-hmm. um he's deploying them you know very very well I, I i just think it's kind of a magic trick that they're they're here and they're here in the right spots oh yeah the a couple uh really awesome needle drops i love the for your precious love that plays when um when he's watching the little girl anna like go and jump off the diving board (laughs) this movie introduced me to the song and just made me love the song it's so beautiful we played it at my Mm -hmm. wedding reception uh it's cool yeah it's one of my favorite um from that era but another another scene i love with the like the needle drop is this when they're playing mr sandman when it shows the transition from nemo as kind of a young boy to nemo as a teenager and it's panning around the room and like as his room changes into like a teenage rebellious room mr sandman like turns into like heavy metal i i just i love the way the the room and the music change seamlessly is awesome. Like, Mr. Metal Man. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Anyways, yeah, I wanted to also mention the cinematography is by Christophe Bocarn. He's a highly respected French cinematographer. Um, I also did not recognize um, most of the movies in his filmography, but almost all of them were rated like 7.2 and 8. Uh, on on IMDb, so very very highly respected cinematographer, um, definitely someone that I I should just add to my watch list and and start diving into some of his stuff because 
I think this movie is beautiful and ha- must have a lot to do with his, his talent. Um, yeah, it, it is very beautiful to the point where I, you're, you're kind of sitting there going like, this cost how much? Like, how did it not cost like three times that amount? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it also like the cinematography, it has a similar um, effect where it's kind of light and airy almost. It's very, um, the colors pop. It's beautiful. And like at the same time, like it's beautiful in that way in, in like these fresh sort of primary colors um, mm-hmm. in the same way that the music is like beautiful and fresh, but what's going on is like a lot more, uh, a lot less happy. Yeah. Fresh and, is a good word. A clean, clean yeah. too. Like he, he highlights, I think this is very much. So the director's talked about um, making sure there's like a distinct color palette per Nemo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. I didn't really pick up on that the first time through until the very end where they show you like the different vases dropping. Right. Um, But then, you know, using white as a kind of a common denominator, you know, there's a very strong white in every one of them. Um, Very strong, bright that I think is really interesting to use. Gives it a very, a very clean, but not sanitized feeling. Yeah. Which I thought was, was took a deft hand. Awesome. It it was funny. Uh, The, the, it it reminded me a little bit of the Truman show. Um, Oh yeah. And uh, I was going to say earlier, Jared Leto, Reminds in this reminds me a little bit of Jim Carrey in that like they actually look similar at times, um, which isn't something I'd usually think of with uh, the two of them, but somehow they do. Um, the, hair, the haircut in some scenes are, are very similar in the yeah. kind of the clean buttoned up look. Yeah. Yeah. That one's, mm-hmm. you know, I think they might share a little bit of uh, a little bit of DNA maybe, but yeah. Yeah. Um, also, yeah, with the neighborhood different. structure too. The neighborhoods yeah. look similar to me. It's a I think that Truman would definitely like his car on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Jesse. Yeah. I think most of it is similar, except for the like there's some London scenes, and that's where it always feels different to me. I guess we'll talk I'll, I'll Yeah. I mean we can get into first yeah. impressions. I I think one thing I noticed when you when you just said the Truman show, it almost has like a dollhouse feel to a lot of the scenes where i mean there's weird scenes where it, it shows a street and then like the kid puts a tree a car into the scene all oh, right right so yeah. it is like a dollhouse or a, a miniature mm-hmm. set um but i feel like a lot of the truman show feels that way <laughs> spoilers for truman show um <laughs> came in here we're working hard to avoid spoilers for nobody and for enemy but there you go just spoiling truman show yeah, I think I think we can just enter spoiler territory for Mr. Nobody and then and then we can just talk about enemy. I feel like there's going to be a lot less to say about enemy. Um so I'm fine spending some more time talking about Mr. Nobody. Um, um up to you. Well, yeah. Okay, do you want to talk about it? you said you wanted to do first impressions or whatever? Yeah, let's do first impressions for Mr. Nobody and then we can kind of tackle enemy separately. Uh so one stormy night in 2013. So the year that this, or no, no. The year the enemy came out. The year the enemy yeah. came out, but a couple years after Mr. Nobody came out. Well, that's one thing weird about Mr. Nobody. It came out in Europe, like years before it came out in the United States. What? Um, it had almost like a separate international release and then American release. It did really well globally, internationally, and then Americans just did not have it. They did not like it. It did not make it big. Yeah. So I, I was sitting there 2013. I had 
uh, nothing to watch on Netflix. I was literally just doing the Netflix scroll where you can't find anything. And I saw this, this poster and it said, Mr. Nobody. And I was like, Hey, it's Jared Leto. It's going to be a wild ride. I'm sure. And I just clicked play and I had no idea what this movie was. I thought I was going to be asleep in 10 minutes. And instead I could not look away for the next two hours. I was like, what in the world did I stumble into? I had never heard of this movie before. And I knew I didn't know anybody that had ever seen it before. And it just blew my mind. Every second of it was just like blowing my mind further and further. And I couldn't believe that a movie like this existed. It, um, it really, really rocked my world as far as what movies can be and what a director can think about what, like how he can put his imagination onto the screen. This movie was really, really mind blowing. And I, like I said, some of the music in it, I had never heard before and the way it paired with the family life, particularly the early scenes with the parents and the mother uh, playing with, with Nemo as a baby. It was some of the most powerful child's perspective that I've ever seen in a movie. I think the only other exception I'd make to that would be like Tree of Life has a really, really good, powerful uh, child's perspective earlier on, early on in that movie as well. But this one just really, really was thought provoking in ways I didn't think realize a movie could. It had a lot of interesting philosophical stuff in it that I was all on board for. I loved the the weird stuff about causality and the, the, you know, the big bang and all this stuff about, you know, time and the, you know, string theory. And even though it's a little bit, a bit incoherent, it's a bit all over the place. It's kind of dabbling in a million different philosophical fields. It's, you know, it's not really a treatise on any one topic. Um, I still love that. It's just always trying to grasp at things and do it in a really beautiful, cool visual way. Um, and I, I just love that about it. I watched it a couple more times by myself after that. I kept coming back to it. I came back to it a couple times before I introduced it to a buddy of mine and totally blew his mind. We were about three beers deep. So this movie was like <laughs> perfect to just like, I mean, change our rock, our worlds. And, and it was, it was awesome. And um, you had a crazy movie night with this one too, right? Yeah, so so I started doing movie nights with some buddies about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when I started doing movie nights, I knew I wanted to watch this one. I just wanted to like make sure that I had the right group for it or maybe like prepare you, people for it. You like, were weeding people out before <laughs> before you got to Mr. Nobody. Yeah, so apologies to anyone that didn't get an invite. Um, but I don't actually I don't think Jesse, you were coming to the movie nights yet. Yeah, so apologies so, to me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't even think we had met by that point. But it was it was early on, maybe it was like the third movie night I had, and I, I put this on and I still didn't know the group very well. So I I came out with some disclaimers being like, This is bizarre. Like this is gonna totally blow your mind. You might not like it, but that's okay. And I was like really worried that the people were just going to like be shaking their heads. Like what in the world did Daniel put in front of our faces? But the opposite happened actually. Like everybody loved it. I had a friend turn to me halfway through and they're like, Daniel, how is this not your favorite movie of all time? Well, okay. And, and I was like, maybe it is. No, it's not. Uh, but, 
I was like, this is like a really cool movie. The fact that everyone's like really enjoying this really like we were all enjoying having our minds blown by everything in front of us. And I really enjoyed that. That kind of solidified it. Like the experience of putting it in front of, you know, eight plus guys and all, all friends of mine and having all of their minds blown and all of them love it um, kind of elevated this movie for me as well. Yeah. So then here I am getting to watch it with, with you guys and I'm glad Mike's already seen it. That's awesome. But I, I was like, I actually was hoping that none of you had seen it just so that like, uh, well, yeah. 50%, 50%. Yeah, that's great. That's great. What about you guys? Vito, you want to go next? Sure. Um, friend of the pod, Letney told me about this, this movie way back in college. Um, I've had it on <laughs> my, Mike told it to you beforehand. I feel like Mike has always been champion. And I, Mr. I, I haven't, I, I haven't talked. I didn't talk to Mike back then. We weren't really I, friends. I think Letney, Letney was probably the one who turned me on to it, but you, you go ahead. Yeah, it was, it was 2012, 2013. Yeah. And uh, so I have, I actually have a copy of this. Um, it's on my hard drive. <laughs> I've, I've had it for like 10 years. Um, wow. Wow. <laughs> You, I love wow. I love how this All is right. going to be a story of Vito not watching Mr. Nobody for I spent like 20 seconds years. talking about that, Jesse. No, so <laughs> it's been on my list for forever to, to get to, and I never got to it. And so when Dan is like, now is the time, I, I had this, this big feeling of like, All right. This has been weighing on me for 10 years. I have multiple people in my life who have told me I should watch it. Now I must. And I watched it, and I have to say, I don't know if it was the years leading up to it, or my aging. Maybe I'm too old to have experienced this for the first time. I don't know what is with me. Um, I liked it fine. Uh, I cannot say I very much enjoyed it. I think it's too long. Um, I thought a lot of its ideas, because this came out in 2009, and I've been watching movies, a lot of movies since then, that I think maybe were even influenced by this one. Um, I found its approach to its ideas not as original or fresh as I probably might have if I watched it back then. I do think it does a lot of things that are very interesting and very touching. I love his relationship between him and Anna and him and Elise. That's That really got to me. And I thought, thought that expressing those romantic relationships in that way was just, just really stunning and and human. Um, and a lot of Jared Leto's performance was, was really gorgeous too. It was really touching. I just, every every moment that I thought, I'm really digging this. I was yanked out of it and thrown into another story that I didn't like as much. And then by the time I kind of came around to liking that story, I was yanked out of it and thrown into another one. And it's the same kind of syndrome I had a little bit with everything everywhere all at once. But that one, I think, made the smart choice because it just pivoted so often. You know, it was always like moving on, moving on, moving on. And this one, I felt like I was just getting so in I was so engaged as I know the movie wanted me to be with his and Anna's relationship that when we moved away from it, I was like, no, go back to that. <laughs> what happened? And then it showed me someone else. It's like, I don't care about you. Go away. <laughs> uh, so that, that might've been by movies design. Um, I didn't respond to it as well. And then the old man Leto stuff, we kept flashing back to it so much, so much. And then in the end, when it is revealed that none of this happened anyway, I did have a, a moment of feeling like the protagonist wakes up and says, this is all a dream because literally it was all a dream. <laughs> and I got kind of pissed. I got a little bit pissed for a little bit about that. Um, but 
I do understand the the general point it was making, and I think its emotional core kept it from just being like a a flashy reveal, like "ha ha, gotcha." It actually felt it felt a little more earned. I'm not going to say all the way earned. I'm not entirely settled in how I feel about that, but that's kind of my general first impressions. I liked it, didn't love it. It was very touching and and very annoying at different parts. That, that's how I feel. Or Jesse, either. Yeah. Uh... I'll go, I'll go next. Um, yeah. So as the other part of the 50% who had seen this movie before <laughs> and, and has recommended it to some people um, who may or may not be on this pod and didn't watch it for 10 years. No, I know I'm not holding it against you. You better not. Um, but you can't hold any of those movies that I haven't watched against. Oh, no, that's, that's, a, that's not true. <laughs> no, you, you forgave me for no reason. I'm, I Damn still it. hold the grudge against Damn you. Damn it. I'm holding and Jesse. Grudge. Um, okay, no, I watched this back in like 2014 or 2015. And at the time, my um, my now wife and I were, uh, we were doing like a long distance relationship. And she had seen it with some friends or something. Um, and was like, oh, I thought, I think that, I, she remembers herself as not liking it, and that may be the case. Either way, it definitely incited me to go and watch it because I thought that what she was saying about it sounded interesting, and like I had, I didn't want to talk to her about it until I saw it. Um, so I watched this by myself, and um, yeah, I mean, it was at the time it was it was mind blowing. I'm still kind of amazed at some of the things that this movie does. Like Dan, you mentioned. Um, it, the child perspective um, in like kind of just one small scene throughout this whole movie, there are things that are going on um, with the way that the director is uh, having you take Nemo's perspective or just kind of doing things that maybe exist in other, in other movies and stuff, but he's just sort of throwing them off. Like here's this thing, here's this small little bit of a child seeing their mother act like as a baby. That's pretty powerful stuff. And it's just like, it's, it's a tiny portion of this movie that that occurs in or the, um, the visual, just the visuals of this movie, the way that he, um, you know, like, like the car that rolls and how he connects that, like the way that he uses this movie to give us three lives of this one person and creates an entirely different emotional journey throughout all of them. Those blew, that blew me away. That was something that I had not seen before. And it was, um, yeah, it was, it was really cool for a 24 year old uh, dude fresh out of college. I don't think that the ending was very important to me at the time, uh, which is weird, but I also don't think it's that important to me now. I still feel amazed by this movie. I still feel like I haven't watched it again in the intervening years. I kept thinking about like going back and watching and being like, you know what? I don't, I don't think it's time yet. I don't think it's time. So I'm really, but I was feeling like it was about time. So Dan, I'm really, really grateful for you for including this in your birthday episode, because it did give me the opportunity to go back and watch it. And uh, while maybe some of the amazement at the, at the direction at the, the visuals and, and the cinematography and all of that have worn off a little bit. I do think that there is something like, it makes me smile watching this movie because it's it, it the the they make the he he makes the director makes decisions with this movie that are like did you really just do all of that for this but like not like oh it's it's all worthless it's kind of like more like it, it's a little bit of a, a big old f you 
you know, the ending of this movie is like, yeah, it's all a dream, except it's not. It's also all extremely meaningful. Um, going back to the very beginning of the movie, um, I'm still impressed by it. I think it's extremely thought provoking. I do see some some spots, some holes mm. in it um, that I didn't see back then. Um, but I almost like it more because of them. Uh, I don't think this is a five star movie for me anymore, but it's a very I like being around it. You know what I mean? Makes sense. Yeah. I, I, it makes sense to me anyway, what you're saying. Cool. Jesse, what about you? What's your impressions of Mr. Nobody? Basically just going to rhyme with everything Vito just said. Hey, that's dead. Yeah. Ah, hey. <laughs> Minus the old man part. I, that's, that's fine. Fine. That's fine. I'm, I'm but, okay being on the fucking island. Uh, I guess I'll just add or me- maybe elaborate on like, yeah, maybe if I had seen this 10 years ago, I think I would have been blown away. I didn't see it 10 years ago, though. Um, so now I'm seeing it now, especially after. Now we are like inundated with multiverse and different possibilities. So I feel yeah. like this has become more commonplace in our culture. Yeah. And I've experienced this idea. I kind of wish I would have seen this 10 years ago and been introduced to the idea of different timelines this way. Cause I think this is much better done than stuff I'm seeing now, but just because I'm used to it, I, I don't feel like it's having quite the same impact. And also I, I also watched it alone. Like my, like Liz came in and watched some of it with me and was just very confused. She's like, yeah. why is he on a spaceship all of a sudden? What, what is that? What are those lasers pointing at his forehead for? Um, and it was just very, it was like too strange of her because she didn't see all of it. So, and, and then, and then there was just me alone. And I felt like if I had been with a group of people and we had all been talking about it, I think I, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. I think I would have gotten more out of it. And I was, I'm excited to do this pod because we finally get to talk about Mr. Nobody spoiler, not spoiler free spoilers everywhere. And just talk about everything that, that was here. Cause there is a lot to experience. And I, I guess another thing that I'll point out is that like, I, I think there's a lot to experience in the movie emotionally, but there's kind of like too much. Like, mm. I just felt like I was feeling everything all the time. And that was a bit much for me. Like, I, I kind of just wanted to feel one thing one time. Mm. Um, not just, like, be really happy or sad about Anna and then just, like, be bummed out about Elise and just feel like nothing for Jean. <laughs> Poor Jean. Yeah. She get- <laughs> Poor Jean. <laughs> it's true. I was like, can we not with this one? Can we go to the other ones? <laughs> yeah. Skip this. Uh, no, like, the, that's I, the way I, Nima was. And that's the way I was <laughs> like watching it was like, yeah, please move away from Jean. She does not matter in any way. You there was a moment when, when I was watching, I think it's when, when Jared Leto, um, sorry, when Nemo is going to get with Anna and then like the rain washes the phone number away and then he can't run after her and he can't have a way to find her. So he goes to the, to the lighthouse and then he's just sleeping on the bench. I was like, Wow, this is a fucking bummer. Jeez. <laughs> like, maybe now we can wait. What other storyline can we go to? None the the really disordered, like unhappy, suicidal wife? No. What about the one whose name I can't remember? No. <laughs> Old man? No. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> I, I cannot escape what, this. Part. What about being paralyzed on the bed? Uh, uh, let's go back to Mars. Yeah. Let's go back to Mars. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe there's something going on on Mars that <laughs> must be better than what's going on on Earth right now. <laughs> Lying on a bench, slowly levitating. <laughs> I, I think I what you said about like the 
the multiverse being commonplace now in, in popular culture definitely makes me, it does take something away from this movie in a certain sense. Like now one of the things that I, that blew my mind is like, yeah, that's, that's happening in Marvel and it's happening in everything everywhere all at once. And Rick and Morty for years, Rick and Morty. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> so definitely I see that. And like one of the things that I, I loved about this being so disjointed with all these different timelines seemingly happening at the same time at different moments and sometimes backwards. Um, I like growing up, I always had this fixation with like thinking about how like the butterfly effect, right. That like every decision I make is pointing me on a path that I like irrevocably and going to go towards that path. Like if I trip on the sidewalk today, it changes my entire day, my entire week, my entire month, you know, and that fascinated me that like every decision we make is so impactful even if it's, you know, we don't even know of the impact, but it must be, you know, it's going to have ramifications that we'll, we'll never be able to, to quantify. So that, that idea of like every decision having a huge impact and us kind of not ever knowing what those impacts are or, you know, where that leaf that came from the storm and made me slip came from. Like, I love that how it just randomly will like explain something that happened, like when his shoe comes off and it randomly jumps to the the shoe manufacturing factory and the guys like you know going cheap on the shoelaces it's like it's showing you something that must be the case like there this must be the cause of this mm-hmm. but we will never know in our life that that's the case and it it's something that's always fascinated me and um and I've always kind of daydreamed about like what could my life look like if I made different decisions or what you know, could it look like, you know, just to, 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 you just spark something in my imagination. This is exactly the sort of relationship that I had with the movie science. You know, there's no coincidence, right? Everything is for, yeah. everything's eventual. Everything's for a purpose. There's no such thing as an accident really. Um, and this movie takes a slightly different tack. That one ascribes it to, to God or fate, right? This one is like, no, the reason that you couldn't have, Anna's number is because that unemployed Brazilian dude, it's his fault. All right. And you know why it's his fault? Because your fault, because you bought two cheap jeans last month. That's why (laughs) everything's connected. And it's, it's a, it's a different kind of like, like mirror image between like, well, God must have made this. So like in signs, God ordained these things for a reason. And this movie, which is like, no, it has a very kind of mundane, boring human explanation. Mm -hmm. That's that's fascinating. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It just it's like sparked, and and I wanted to share. Well, also, I, I realized watching this movie that I've seen this before in Dune. Like this is a premise of Dune. A person can see their future and all the different, like everything that causes something to happen in front of them. And then what do you do with with all that info? That's yeah, kind of what it comes down to at the end. Don't spoil the end of Dune. <laughs> oh, I've just spoiled the middle of Dune. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if I've gotten to the middle of Dune. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not sure. <laughs> There's a middle of Dune in each of us. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, yeah, I definitely, I, I really, really loved that about it, and I, I do see that that has been done in other movies and done differently. Um, Before we move on 
from Mr. Nobody from talking about it in particular. I still want to know. I like I know this is running long, but still I've been wanting to talk about this, right? So like there there is one main timeline and it's the Anna timeline, right? Isn't that yeah. what the whole leaf thing running a- a- Anna is like the right timeline. It's the right is Isn't it, it like Yeah. Is, so it seems clear. to me like he sees all the timelines and he chooses Anna, which is why he goes and picks the leaf and that causes her to go to the circle spot. Yeah. Right. Is so, that what so happens? It's, so I think I think you can take this different ways. I do think that that is the I do think that that was probably in the mind of the directors and the writers is that he he decided not to go with his mom or his dad. He ran he made no decision, right? He ran to down the path without, you know, in, in uh, away from his parents and he basically became a homeless person for the rest of his life and then found Anna as a homeless man. I think I think you can read it that way that that is like the timeline that's really really happening but you can also read it different you can read it other ways too cuz like there's the whole idea of that time it, like the big bang leads to the big crunch where time all reverses mm-hmm. and it also shows that as like Jared Leto as an old man start and everything's walking you know he's walking backwards and everybody's going backwards but, and he's doing that obnoxious laugh. But the payoff of the big crunch is that he gets to be with Anna again, even yes. as a little kid. That's the emotional, like, like center of the movie is his relationship with Anna. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I just, I was more addressing, like, is there one real timeline and everything else is a potential oh. timeline? No, no, I think, no, I think the right, like, the preferred timeline, the preferred way that, like, what, the, what he, the filmmaker, wants to leave you with is that relationship with Anna. But I, I got the sense that all these timelines were were true. Like we were supposed to believe that they were true. And even if we didn't believe they were true, it didn't really matter. Right. right? It doesn't. Yeah. yeah. That, that's what I think is that it doesn't matter whether they all happened or none of them happened. It's kind of, it's enough to say that they were all possibly going to happen. Right. That for this one boy about to make this decision to go with his mom or his dad or neither, all of these possibilities were on the table. Maybe some of that was in his imagination. Maybe all of it's in his imagination, but that they are all like potential futures for him at this one point in his life. Um, sometimes I wonder if they're all in his imagination because of the the quote from the beginning about the pigeon. Like if the if the pigeon is flapping its wings, it'll keep flapping its wings because it thinks that that's the thing that's causing it to get food. So maybe this little boy just imagining things in his head just because of that one time when he saw the future with his dad and the car rolling down, he thinks that this is going to change things when maybe he has no control. Also just love the mom just being like, so you definitely sabotage your dad's car, right? And that's why you think you can see the future. <laughs> and the kid's like, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of took it that way that like, none, each of them are equally real and unreal. Like. Um, in his like that's the great reveals like Nemo Mr. Nobody is just a figment of the child's imagination and that's why there's no record of him and there's really no record of anybody it's all just a figment of the the kid's imagination and even this like extreme cause and effect relationship the the butterfly effect that we're going through here is it itself sort of wiped out by that revelation and by the the child's choice not to choose sort of or to choose himself or i feel like like that final there's an incompleteness to uh like it doesn't quite stick the landing but i get what 
the symbolism is. I get that um, with him running off into you know the the woods by himself, it's supposed to sim- symbolize like he's making a third choice. That's neither his mother or his father. It's choosing himself and his own life, and also to not um, to not be bound by choice. Maybe, maybe, yeah, 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 maybe. Um, I mean, no, sorry, I was I was agreeing until until the until the, the last part was what I said. Maybe too. Okay. Uh, not be bound by choice because I, it, I think the movie ends. So for it being for my criticism of it being too long, I also think it ends way too abruptly. I think it just ends, and I understand well, yeah. that there's not really an answer to be given. And my desire for an answer is a very human one when presented with the possibility of choice in the future. I just, I don't need to be spoon fed an ending, but with an ending like this, which seems to suggest that Anna is the future. I, like maybe a little bit more or maybe a little bit less, you know, either more ambiguous or more certain, you know, uh, is the, is the top wobbling or did the top fall or is the top going to keep spinning? You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. Or, yeah. or maybe it's just well, that his imagination in his imagination, he really just wants to be with Anna because it's still just a little kid. Yeah. Imagining all this. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think, I mean, that's kind of, and I mean, even there in that timeline, like, he gets with her and, and he dies in a car accident, like going off the bridge, right? Like that's, that's going to end pretty quick. Right. Yeah. He's, he's with her. He's, yeah. They're going to be like five or six and yeah. he's going to, he's going to go off. A, um, still worth it. Yeah. Still worth it. And still great. But I think like there was a key, I can't remember the line exactly, but that um, old Nemo says about basically like life is incredible. Life is amazing. Um, every moment of it is amazing. And that's Profound. pretty, what was that? Profound. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think but, it's not. <laughs> but I mean, like, like it's um, that's juxtaposed in the same way that the music and the cinematography, like the visuals of the of the movie, are with what's like the emotional weight of what's happening, of like everything that's happening to this kid in this life that he's imagined for himself. Um, I thought, I thought that the idea is like when we hit this sort of the big crunch and time starts going backwards it's less real within the movie and more symbolic where it's like by you sort of unlocked the joy of life by unlocking um, yourself from this awful decision given to a, given to a, you know, Mm. 10 year old boy. Choose. Yeah. Choose between your mother and your father. (laughs) It's awful. Mm -hmm. Here on the train platform. Yeah, could yeah, we have done this at like a, in a in a in a mediation or like a courtroom or something? Isn't that how it's usually done? Yeah, they no. could have at least done it the night before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, there's a scene um, even before he has to choose between his parents where he's looking at the donuts, the two different donuts, and he's like, "You have to choose." And he's like, um, "You know, if, if you don't, you don't want to make the wrong choice because then you'll be stuck with it forever." But but you have to choose. He does say that like that's the hard hardest thing about choices you are kind of bound to it and i mm-hmm. is it like okay he he made a third choice with his with his parents he chose to not choose either of them but that's still a choice and you're still like it's it's i don't know a lot a lot of i feel like a lot of the deeper analysis you can run in this movie it doesn't really stand up too much to like very deep analysis it kind of reminds me of like the matrix in that way that there's a whole lot of like random philosophical pieces. Like there's some Buddhism and some 
Hindu and some like Christianity. And it's all like this hodgepodge. And it's, you know, you can see it as being like, it's just having a veneer of depth or it's, you know, it's trying to have the trappings of philosophical, um, you know, intrigue or interest. And I don't know. I, I feel like this movie does very well with juggling all of these different things that don't really fit, but then like life is weird. Life is complicated. And I felt like this sometimes where it's like, it's hard to mesh all the things you believe and you think and you, you know, and life, life is so complicated. Mm -hmm. And and that's, I think that's ultimately what I've grown to love about this movie besides the analysis and the, you know, the timelines. And I, I've grown to just love the experience of watching this movie and like putting my heart on, you know, into the VCR and like just letting this movie play on my heart. Like I love Mm -hmm. the way that it, um, that it shows these relationships, the way it shows this really, really like heart heart wrenching. Like I've mentioned with Elise, um, that, that part definitely affected me more. Like around the time I was going to get married, I watched this movie and, it was like, oh my goodness, I I can't even imagine having that big of a struggle, like mm-hmm. to 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 love a wife and have her go through such a painful debilitation, like this bipolarism, and it's 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 amazing the way it treats the subject, really, really, I I think really beautifully, and sh- the way that Nemo is like there for her when he burns his car and like goes and you know it's beautiful the way he treats her and when she's in the rain and he just goes and he's like i'm never leaving you like i i don't know what i would do without you it's so beautiful and i Mm -hmm. i've grown to just really love those scenes so much that it kind of any holes that i could see in it have kind of gone by the wayside Um, yeah i think Judging by the first part of this movie, I was expecting to be like a far more intellectual movie. And then while in the middle of watching is like, oh, I'm just supposed to be feeling what's happening (laughs) and not so much thinking about what's happening, even though I think that is an option. I think it's better to not do that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Jumping in real quick to tell you about something I'm personally very excited for. It's SIRS Furniture. S-I-R-R-S Furniture. Now, if you've been listening to our podcast for a long time, then you know about Sir. He was We did the, the crossover with the uh, Before Sunset trilogy. He's been on a couple of our episodes. I've been on a couple of his. Um, he's a dear friend. And he happens to make, besides a fantastic podcast, beautiful, custom-made wood cutting boards of, of whatever flavor of wood you want and whatever kind of design you want. It's, it's beautiful custom work. And with summertime coming up, I know that I'm going to be out barbecuing. I'm going to be out going to birthday parties. I'm going to be going to a couple of weddings and it's sometimes hard to pick, you know, what to give somebody, uh, what to give a friend of mine. Sir's Furniture is your one-stop shop for cutting boards, charcuterie boards, coasters, anything that you can really think of that is handmade, handcrafted, and designed woodcraft. You've been using a small plastic board for years. You know you have. Or, you know, take a look in your kitchen at those dried out twigs that you call cutting boards. And 
go to sirsfurniture.com, S-I-R-R-S furniture.com slash NYFM and check out the wide selection of beautiful handcrafted wooden cutting boards that are on display there. Now, listen, let me tell you a little bit ago when Mike welcomed in his third child to the world, um, Jesse and I banded together and we we pitched in on on one of the big Bertha, I think it's called the Martha of the, the cutting boards. It was big, had a nice channel around the side and we put Mike's last name right in the middle and this board was gorgeous. I was upset that I didn't have Mike's last name so that I couldn't just keep it for myself. It was the single most beautiful cutting board I've ever seen. So that whether you love to cook, barbecue, or just need that perfect gift, Sir has what you need. So for 10% off, use our link, Sir's Furniture. That's S-I-R-R-S furniture.com slash N-Y-F-M. That'll tell him that we sent you. Yeah, so our uh, our second film that I wanted to talk about is the 2013 Denis Villeneuve movie Enemy. Um, this is his second movie that he came out in 2013. He also came out with Prisoners, also Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, I guess apparently they were released in the opposite order that they were filmed in. So he filmed um, Enemy first and then filmed Prisoners and then released Prisoners and then released Enemy. Um, I'm not sure why two movies in the same year. That's very ambitious. I know he was, um, he was making waves and he still is, but he was making uh, a lot of early waves at this point in his career. And um, so maybe he was just trying to get some big ones out there. And, And Jake Gyllenhaal is obviously a spectacular actor one of my favorites of all time and um i yeah i wanted to mention it's based off of a, a novel this movie is by jose saramago it's mm-hmm. called the double written it's the movie is written by him jose and javier guyon it's starring jake gyllenhaal as we mentioned he's both adam and anthony in the movie so it's i think it's impossible to talk about this movie without talking about the spoilers so he's He's a history professor that, you know, finds a doppelganger in a movie and he's trying to find out who this person is, this person that looks exactly like him. So Jake Gyllenhaal plays both the character of the history professor and this actor. Um, The one, the history professor, Jake Gyllenhaal has as his wife, it's uh, Sarah Gadon as Helen. And then Anthony, the actor, has Melanie Laurent as Mary. And Melanie, Melanie Laurent is the one I was confusing earlier. She's in um, Glorious Bastards. Glorious Bastards as well. She is the French lady who's she is amazing. Shoshana. Shoshana, yeah. Um, spectacular in that movie as well. And I, I think she's honestly the women, both of the women in this, I think are spectacular along with Jake Gyllenhaal. It's a very small cast. It's essentially just those three actors and actresses. Um, yeah, Mary is like the only part of the movie where you kind of breathe a sigh of relief when she's on screen. It's like, oh, maybe not everything is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I I, I kind of want to just jump into first impressions um, for myself. So I saw this maybe five years ago, six years ago, 
Um, I was just getting into Villeneuve. I love, I, I was loving everything he made and I, I just, I wanted to keep up with it. And I saw that he made this, this movie enemy that nobody in my life had mentioned. And so I just put it on one day and, um, it was, it really, really confused me. I didn't know what to think about it. It took probably a week before I decided, yeah, I think I really, really liked it. I, it, I was really conflicted on it. It's, it's a strange movie. There's a lot of, there's a lot of naked women and a lot of spiders and (laughs) what in the world, sometimes they're the same thing. Um, (laughs) so it was very, very strange. And I, I was very conflicted. Um, I've never, ever seen a naked woman spider before. Yeah. Yeah. Nightmare fuel, that is. (laughs) Definitely nightmare fuel. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what about you guys? For me, uh, I watched it last night for the very first time in my entire life. Um, and it was riveting. I, uh, it was, I, I wouldn't say I love this movie, but I have profound respect for it. And, uh, I mean, you know, continue to have a ton of respect for Denny Villeneuve. He's incredible. Great filmmaker. Um, and Jake Gyllenhaal is a great actor. I mean, like, come on, like, this is, this is, this is wild. Uh, and, uh, they all do a really great job. That's, this, that's my, this, uh, my impression. Yeah. I don't know. What was that? I, when I saw, when I saw most of it last night, I was like, yeah, this is going to be a Mike movie. Mike's going to like this one. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say I like this movie. Like this is a, a little too much for me to say, like, I like this movie, but I respect the crap out of this movie. This is like, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Jesse? What are your impressions of enemy? Um, yeah, this one, I really didn't know what to think of after I watched it. I, I, I still don't know what to think. I thought it was like, it was really dreary. The music is just like, it just, it's pounding. It makes you feel sad all the time. The colors make you feel sad. I felt everything sick. just, everything exactly just feels ill. Everything feels gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, brown. it's, it's all brown, brown and yellow and, yeah. gr- and nasty and the city feels lifeless and there's spiders and naked women, naked women, spiders. And like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I watched it. It's like, I, I don't know what I just watched. I guess I have to watch a YouTube video. And then I want, I Googled a YouTube video and then it's like Denny Villeneuve who just comes on screen and just like, so this movie is about a man who's cheating on his pregnant wife. And this is what's going on in his subconscious. So no, I guess that's what I just watched. I've never had, I've never had a director just come out and tell me what the movie was about. Like that is you. very odd. <laughs> pretty clear, pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that's odd about it is apparently all all everybody involved in the movie was forced to to sign an NDA that they would never discuss publicly what the spiders represent. So oh. damn it. You'll never find an actor, actress, like anybody, to, like, I don't know, maybe it's I, long enough after the movie now that they could talk about it. But like, that was a thing they had to sign saying, I will never discuss, explain or describe what I think the spiders are. I, which is kind of weird. I but. did see a YouTube video that explained that pretty well. Basically yeah, that, that there are spiders, they weave webs, webs mm-hmm. trap things. He feels trapped. 
uh, and they're also like scary creatures, but in all reality, they want to hide from bigger predator, bigger predators, right? And he's yeah. the actual predator, which is why it's cowering from him. That's his, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, or you, or you can view it as like a straight up alien invasion movie, and, and yeah, being invaded by spider people. You could, you can do that. He's the um, only one that can see the spiders. Yeah, or by accident, you know. They, they, <laughs> Donnie Darko. When they took over our matrix, they accidentally made two of them. Um, I saw this for the first time the the twenty fifteen summer twenty fifteen. Um, I saw it with a good friend of mine, uh, Alex. We watched it when it was over. We said, "What the fuck?" We turned it off, and then <laughs> I watched it again with my wife uh, a couple years ago because I remembered the "What the fuck." Didn't say what the fuck that time. I have to say, Dan, uh, I liked Mr. Nobody. Um, I'm going to be thinking about it for a long time, and I've been thinking about Enemy since I saw it. You know, seven years ago, I don't like Enemy. I didn't like it the first time. I didn't like it the second time. I don't like it this time. <laughs> <laughs> I've given it enough shots. I have watched the YouTube videos. I've I've had long conversations about this movie. I just I don't like it. I think what it's doing is cool, and that's that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. Um, so mm-hmm. I was mostly interested in coming to this conversation to hear what you thought. Yeah. So. Like the thing that I think I most appreciate about this, that the reason that it stuck with me is it's always been interesting to me. This is similar to Mr. Nobody where it's this fascination with like what could be. And with this movie, it's he's seeing what is happening at the same time of like what should be happening. Like he should be with his wife, his pregnant wife, but then he's also cheating on her and he's living this dual life, right? He's like, He's actively living a secretive life of disloyalty where he's going to this crazy, I don't even know what to call it. It's definitely like a sex club. It's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. like a really, really elitist, cultist, almost sex club. And, And then like the moment that he kills off that part of him that he decides, no, I'm going to stay with my wife. And, you know, it's, it's such a, quirky, weird, impactful way to show like the car spins off and, you know, flips over and they apparently die that that's like him deciding to stick with, to stay with his wife and stay loyal with the baby. And then he sees the key. And in that moment, he like, it's like temptation comes knocking at his door again. Mm -hmm. And he realizes like, he's still weak. He's going to go right back to that life. Yeah. And that he, yeah, with the spiders, like I, I think it's kind of a dual symbolism of the spiders are the things that trap things, but then also, so he he feels trapped by his by his wife, who's pregnant, about to have their baby, and we all, I mean, we're all dads. We all know that that's like a huge responsibility, and it mm-hmm. you know it kind of takes you out of a lot of things. Maybe you wish you could do that you did as a bachelor, right? Like. It really is. It ties you down uh, in a very real way. And um, of course, we all know that that's that's the beauty of it. You know, it's it's a, a struggle and a privilege. But he's seeing just the struggle and that this is going to tra- that he's going to be trapped by his wife and his family. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he's also trapped by his his temptations, by his struggles with this, you know, this mm-hmm. this life in you know with the club and with this his mistress and all that. So I, I love, I, I think, this, I think the spider and the webs and all that is very, um, it's very neat. I do agree. Like, th- again, I, this is not a movie that 
this is only the second time I've watched it is for this, this podcast. So it's definitely not a movie that I, I don't even know if I enjoy watching this movie. That's the weird thing. <laughs> yeah. It, and so like, I agree with you there that like, it's not a, I feel like it's an important movie though. That That's the weird thing that I'm conflicted about with this movie is I think it's important. I think it's a movie that will stick with me and that I will think about, but I don't, I don't think I'll ever really recommend it or like talk about it even with people. It, it's kind of just, if I find someone out in the wild that's seen it, I'm going to talk about it with them. But I don't know that I, I don't know. The, it, it's almost like a window into some of my mm-hmm. darker thoughts and like, you know, we, in a weird way. And so that, that's why I think I, I like it and I like that it exists and I like that I've seen it, but it doesn't go yeah. much further than that. Yeah. I, I think I feel mostly the same way. I'm not sure if I enjoy watching it, but I, I do feel better for having seen it. I do enjoy the fact that I can think about the the big weighty themes of this movie and being stuck in this cycle mm-hmm. of, of, I guess, struggling to know whether or not you should cheat on your wife. No, never mind. I, maybe I don't even enjoy thinking about that, but like, I enjoy thinking about that very abstractly in this movie alone. Yeah, no, no, no. You're going to face no judgment here. I think that's actually a pretty natural part of, of being married, um, is thinking about, about these ideas. What if this wasn't the case? What if this life were different? What if I had chosen differently? What if I choose differently now? I think that's, that's just a part of being a, a human especially one in, in such a committed kind of, uh, you know, non-moving relationship. Um, that mm-hmm. is something that I do enjoy about this movie. And I will say that as far, just to, to pull back and go a little bit more higher level, um, as, a, as a piece of visual filmmaking, um, I do think it's, it's incredibly distinctive. Nothing, no movie I could think of looks like this, um, for better or worse. And well, maybe even, Blade Runner 2049. No, this is, this is sickening. This is a sickening hue that is placed over this movie. I, I was mostly thinking of the only thing that it drew to mind for me. And it's not exactly the same in, in many ways. In, it's not the same in many ways, but the, the card counter just in like oh, the yeah, yeah. dead spaces sort yeah. of feeling of the whole, the whole movie. It's about yeah, dif- different spaces. color palette, but I could see what you mean by, yeah. by how like, here's Jake Gyllenhaal. He is walking alone in, an, in a huge parking structure. <laughs> yeah. Or like, like even like his, his house. Yeah. Um, both of the apartments, they're just sort of empty, empty. Uh, yeah. But but to, to to finish my point, what I mean by that is that the the images of either the giant spider over the city or like you were talking, Dan, in the car wreck, mm-hmm. the, the spider web that seems to form in the broken glass and then the final reveal of the room size tarantula. Um, those three images are things that have really stuck around. So whenever to the to the point where when anyone even says enemy, just the word, I, I kind of, like I think of the, the giant spider over the city. Um, and it's really gotten in deep for a movie I don't like. I think about this movie a lot. Um, and in that way, you know, people are always like, oh, I don't like watching horror movies because it puts images in my head. And I'm like, yeah, but I know that's fake. This one transcends fake into, you know, this is like the subconscious, right? You're, you're mm-hmm. portraying the subconscious and that's very, very real. And so these these sorts of movies kind of worm their way into my head, uh, especially this one. Yeah, I think about it a lot. I didn't have a further point than that. I just I just wanted to share that. That that's that's yeah. what I like about Enemy a lot. Yeah. What did you guys, the ones that just saw it for the first time, that last scene with the the big spider? Uh, uh, I, what the f- 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I had no um, idea what to think. It's like, why is she the spy? Who is the spider? Is she <laughs> going over the city? I, and then I watched the YouTube videos. Like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, it's so confounding at first because it's so random. Feminine. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. so random. Like, like we know there's been spiders in the movie, but that's the last. Even in a movie with spiders, that is the last thing I would have expected to see. Not necessarily a spider, but a spider that big. Yeah, and especially <laughs> yeah. because she's the one like beautiful light in the movie and she is throughout the whole movie she is kind and she's loving and she's trying to make things work out and she's and pretty. she's literally like every time she's on screen the the colors change she's yeah. brighter far the sickening orange and yellow just kind of fades away yeah. and she's there yeah like plants there's plants around her yeah um when she's there and then like for her to be the spider very shocking I, I will let yeah. me let me let me share. I will say the first time I watched this movie, I, I was not even thinking at all about sub, the subconscious or or symbolic imagery because it just didn't make sense to me. I was like, "What's the symbolic imagery of of a woman spider?" Um, didn't even think about it because I was yeah. much much younger. So I really was just like, "Okay, so there's aliens, <laughs> all right, spider aliens." I think I would have. That's this movie. <laughs> That's the spider alien movie. That's where all them spiders <laughs> they are coming down and they are wearing us like suits. <laughs> it's the thing it's the thing with spiders uh, that's great but it's terrifying that's the way he sees his wife as a as a nasty spider when we the audience see her as like the only saving grace of anything happening on screen in the movie yeah i mean i the first time i saw that scene the all the tension throughout the entire movie i feel like was building to that moment and i jumped like I, I don't, I don't have a natural fear of spiders in general, but that that scared the crap out of me. And it's to this day, it's like one of the most shocking scenes mm-hmm. that I've ever seen. Um, and I think it's because of all the buildup. It's it's really just inc- incredible because like, the, the double dies right, and then yeah. you think it's like all good, and, right. and you're kind of going, "What was that for? Like, did we find out why? Like, the movie seems to be ending. What?" What's ha- why? Yeah. Why did any of this occur? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's really weird because he's like looking at the key like, oh, I'm going to go do this. You're like, That doesn't seem like what he would do. And why would you go do that? that like, like we spent this whole movie getting to know these these two guys. And we know this one, Adam, like really Adam, I think. Yeah, Adam, Adam really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the history teacher really well. And like he's not confident. And like he looks pretty confident right now. That's weird. Yeah. And um you know what else is weird? They they talk about like how his name used to be Daniel, right? Or that or that, that maybe that's the actor's name. name. Yeah. yeah, but there's a third one. So it's almost oh, yeah. like maybe this has already happened before. He was yeah. already cheating on her before there was already this double. And then she even says like, your mom called. That's like one of the last lines in the movie. Mm-hmm. And that starts the beginning of the movie over when the mom calls. So it's almost yeah. like this is a never ending cycle of uh, right. the cycle of dictatorship that he talking about at the beginning mm-hmm. very yeah. neat that's very it's a very good observation i yeah i guess i'm done with the neat observations um dan you brought these two movies together for a reason for one big big question right yeah so the the bit the thing that i think connects these the most is that they fall under in my mind this bucket of like and it's kind of a it's a very nebulous bucket that um, is hard to describe, but 
the idea of like an existentialist movie. Um, and to describe what I mean by that, I, I, I took like a college class on existentialism and it was very confusing, very interesting. We studied the, like, essentially to, to put it as much as well as I can into a like 10 second thing. Um, the existentialist movement, it was like a philosophical movement in the 19th century where these, it was a reaction to the, the rationalist movement where people thought like everything is explainable if you just use your reason. Like every, like the, the intellect is king. You can, you can explain everything in the universe and, you know, how everything works if you think hard enough about it and use your reason. And the existentialists were kind of a reaction to that where they said, you know, maybe reason isn't everything. Maybe per people's individual human experience also matters. And they took it to, you know, you know, other ones would then further take it to say experience is everything. Experience is the only thing that matters in our, you know, in our lives. Like if you, if you just study the human experience, you will learn, you know, the truths of life, the meaning of life, all of it's just wrapped up in your experience. And, um, and it became a literary movement also around the same time. So you have the works of like, like Kierkegaard and um, the Metamorphosis is a famous one, Dostoevsky, all the Russian Solzhenitsyn, like all of these authors are considered existentialist authors because they were, they're trying to show one human life or one human section of life of their life and show it in so much like rawness and vulnerability and just all like the psyche of the individual is just plastered against a wall and you are there observing this experience and that you're supposed to draw meaning out of that that experience that you're witnessing so that's that's kind of how i see these movies as almost like you're supposed to just embrace them and try to see yourself in them or see the human experience in them. They're not movies that like necessarily have good narratives or good, like beginning, middle end, or how did you like the third act as opposed to, you know, how did you feel like it all wrapped up in the end? Like those questions that we normally ask about movies, I feel like the, these movies don't, don't fall into the same criti uh, criticism or, analysis and um that's that's kind of the common ground i see between them mm. and i kind of wanted to ask if, if you guys have similar movies or other movies that you that you you know that you could add to this list of these two movies and is this something that i'm kind of just making up or do you guys have you guys have a similar experience with like there are movies that i just go into experience and i kind of turn my brain off for a little bit uh, the master is is very close to probably my favorite movie and that's a movie that i've described before as like a comfort movie for me because i can just watch it at any time <laughs> like when i'm sick i watch the master like when i'm okay. sad i watch the master when i'm happy i watch the master i just love the master so much and that's something that i i it has ideas in it that i like thinking about like i find pleasurable to think about because they are close to my experience but it's kind of like what you're saying dan is it, it, it's asking you to sit with it to be with it. It's not really interested in, in telling you what's going on. It's just happening. I mean, you're going to see it. You're going to see these, these two men. And sometimes their, their conflict is going to be amorphous or even indirect or almost completely obscure what it is that's going on. 
Um, but it's about feeling. It's about being present with it and gaining something from it. It's like when you ask famous musicians, like, what's that song about? They're like, make up your own mind. Because it's mm -hmm. so much more boring when someone's like, yeah, you see, I had this girlfriend named Rosie and I wrote that song about mm -hmm. her. Because now it's not, it's not for you now. It's for them. Mm -hmm. And it's so much nicer when it's for you because you made it for you. You know, the master is like my movie because I've made it for me. And I've been given that freedom. And is that kind of what you're saying, Dan? Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of it is that every person is kind of going to get a different thing out of the movie because they are going to see themselves, different parts of themselves in the movie that another person, you know, everybody's bringing a different thing to the table when they go watch a movie. And these movies, I feel like they're going to highlight the things that you see in yourself or maybe the things that you never thought of about yourself. Yes. And um, that's a very Absolutely. personal, it's a very personal experience. Yeah. Like I would uh, actually what, lump the master in with these two. Oh, I'm sorry. When I heard like Denny Villeneuve's um, like summary of the enemy, I was like, I, that's kind of, you're, you're minimalizing your own work. You shouldn't do that. Um, like, I, I know what he was saying is actually true and that's what it is, but the subconscious is kind of like such a big, broad subject that it's, it almost feels weird to like, just say, Oh yeah, it's about the subconscious. Um, and then a particular situation and then the, but the movie exists to kind of explore this big, broad, weird subject that, that we all have inside of us. So we're all going to get something a little different out of it. Um, and it's all, going to be pretty similar and somewhat the same. Um, and yeah, I, if, if we're also talking about movies that we would kind of lump in here, I would definitely say it's such a beautiful day is in here as well. Yep. It's uh, yeah, that is just an experience. And it really does have three acts, I think literally, um, yep. but they don't correspond to the normal way a story works in, in a lot of ways, especially at the end. Um, and also, I would lump the the before trilogy in here too. Again, not a very traditional structure. It's just there for for you to be with these two, and hear what they're saying and experience it with them. And you can think about it, but you're really just supposed to to feel, right? Um, and I think the movies don't even function if if you can't. It's a good call. Yeah. What What about you? Do you have a submission? Submission yeah. to the bucket. Uh, to his amorphous gosh, sort of undefined bucket, bucket. <laughs> it's a well-defined i mean bucket, sorry. almost anything paul thomas anderson -y, uh magnolia for sure but i mean i don't know if that's unexpected um i feel like a lot of there's a lot of stuff like this out there um to a certain degree for me i feel like as i get older i go more towards like smaller movies um or movies that are less like oh, what's the meaning of life? Or like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I kind of feel like, at least with Enemy, Enemy is a bit more of a puzzle box to me, um, which is what I like about it. It's like there's very clear and specific meanings for each of these things that are going on here. Um, and, uh, you know, you like that's part of the entertainment factor for me is like figuring mm -hmm. that out and being like, oh, okay, like here, this is this, this is this, this is that. Boom, boom, boom. There we go. Oh, fascinating. Amazing that they were able to draw that out. And it's like the perfect time too for that kind of a movie. It's an hour and a half. Yeah. Whereas, and so like I kind of struggle with the idea of, of 
calling that movie like an existentialist movie, although like I don't think I've got a very good understanding of what that means. But I think the way that Dan defined it, it fits within his definition. Yeah, I do. I, I agree. I agree. It does. Um, but like uh, Mr. Nobody, definitely like it's definitely that sort of broad sweeping movie where it's asking you to feel your ways into ideas um, and into into things. And so finally, the outcome of the movie and the final sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking I'm of Charlie things. Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman, like, wrote the book on <laughs> on existentialism, existentialism. modern yeah. existentialism. Yeah. What is it, like postmodern existentialism? Yeah, post-modern. Yeah. <laughs> oh, postmodern. Yeah. Is that John Malkovich? Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. Eternal Sunshine. I'm thinking of anything's adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I also add Birdman as a submission to the bucket. Yes. That's a good submission. Oh, yeah. we should do Birdman sometime. I'd love to talk about Birdman. We'd have to have Isaac back. Isaac loves Birdman. Or mm-hmm. loved Birdman yeah. back when. I wrote a paper about Birdman in my college oh, class. Yeah? Then you're going to have to read it out loud. <laughs> the audience. Can I edit it first? <laughs> Absolutely yes. not. I want the unedited, the full board Dan of 10 years ago. <laughs> Boring. Yeah. It, it almost seems like the goal of these movies is totally different than a standard, like a standard story movie, which is like, you're just supposed to be different at the end of this. And if you're not, the movies kind of not work for you. Yeah. The lighthouse. <laughs> and I definitely feel like my way to existentialism. I definitely feel like there are moments I would never enjoy watching a movie like this. And then there are movie, moments when this is the only type of movie that I'm going to enjoy. Like it, I have to be in mood for it. I'm, you know, and though it's kind of hit and miss, I don't know what it's connected to in my life, but it's definitely a mood I have to be in to, to experience a movie like this and get something out of it. I will yeah. say the lighthouse with your father-in-law is not a good combo and don't do <laughs> yeah, that. that. That's why I also want to say, you, I don't know if you can officially say the lighthouse doesn't work for you at this time, Jesse. That's just, that's too awkward. <laughs> that's too awkward. I think to have a, a good ruling on that movie. Just I, like, I still remember it. I still go over it in my head. I still don't. I don't care. It's been tainted. I'm saying it's been tainted by such an uncomfortable viewing experience. I don't think I'm ever going to watch it again. I, I don't think I will. <laughs> um all right it's I, on that's, somebody that's, else's birthday episode yeah yeah <laughs> say hello to next august <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh i think i think we should wrap it up gents uh dan do you have anything further you'd like to, to tack on to your birthday no i i just want to say thanks guys this is this has been fun i knew that these movies were they're tough ones to talk about like there's a lot to be said and there's a lot to be felt and there's a lot of differing opinions about them and my opinions about these movies, I'm sure will be very different probably in 10 years. Um, so I, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks guys for, for doing this for my birthday. The ton of fun. Yeah. Thank you for choosing these movies. This has been a great revisit and new introduction too, for me. Absolutely. Yeah, it was fun watching both it. of them. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, from all of us at not your father's movies, happy birthday, Dan, I'm Vito. I'm Mike. I'm Dan. I'm Jesse. Good night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Not Your Father's Movies. Please let us know what you think about movies and our discussions on our Twitter at NYF Movies, on our Not Your Father's Movies Facebook group, follow us on Instagram, or email us at notyourfathersmovies at gmail.com. 
Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon. This podcast has cost us a lot of time, effort, and money. Please consider contributing, and we will start sending you monthly newsletters, our bonus WhatsApp episodes, and even an NYFM mug. We hope to hear from you soon. Lastly, thank you to Max Augers for our awesome theme playing right now, and to Andy LaFave from Don't Dance for the remix that you hear at the beginning of every episode. Thanks again for listening to Not Your Father's Movie.